gonna, the, the name of this class is called The Empty Chair. And the reason that it's called The Empty Chair is because I remember the first Thanksgiving that we had without my husband. And I looked at where he would be sitting. Because usually everybody has a chair where they sit. And, and it was just so bare and so empty. And I remember that feeling of, how am I going to get through Thanksgiving with an empty chair? How am I going to do And I, all of these thoughts were going through my head. Everybody else was just kind of, you know, busying themselves. But I was just conscious of that chair. And, um, and I thank the Lord that um, I'm not sure if it was my son or my brother that took that place during that Thanksgiving dinner. But it just <sighs> took away some of that anxiety that I was feeling. And, and, I, and I thought how appropriate that is that we call this the empty chair because some of you will be experiencing that in two more days. But you don't have to let it become an overwhelming stressor in your life. And that's what we're going to share tonight. In Matthew 5, 4, the Bible says that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to explain to you what grief is. Grief is a normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. Even though grief is normal and natural, it is probably the most neglected and misunderstood emotion. We don't understand it, those of us who grieve, and the people around us don't understand it because they feel funny around us. We grieve a lot of different things and we grieve in a lot of different ways. Some of the things that we grieve are, as we all know, the death of a loved one. But we also grieve the death of a relationship from the way that it was. We grieve if we are divorced. We grieve the loss of a job. We grieve the death of a pet. We grieve moving. We grieve the end of addictions. And only those of you who have actually been a drug addict could understand there is a grief that comes when you stop using. There's a grief when you have major health problems and your body just won't do what you used to do. You grieve if you have legal problems. You grieve if you're older and you have an empty nest. So many things that we grieve. Grief starts when someone or something that we care about is lost to us. We don't grieve for all relationships. We only grieve for those that we care about the most, the ones that are important to us. And these can be relationships with people that we have strong connections to, like family members or spouses or significant others or friends or even places that we feel attached to. I know that I just spoke to a woman <clears throat> this past week, and she was grieving that they were knocking down a building because in that building, she used to have breakfast with her son. She no longer has her son alive. And so just the tearing down of the building brought grief. Things that are important to us, places that are important to us. There is a poem that I put on your notes that I found and I wanted to read it with you. And it says, let me come in where you are weeping, friend. 
and let me take your hand. I, who have known a sorrow such as yours, can understand. Let me come in. I would be very still beside you in your grief. I would not bid you cease your weeping, friend. Tears bring relief. Let me come in. I would only breathe a prayer and hold your hand, for I have known a sorrow such as yours and understand. And I think that that's what binds us here today. Because if there's anything that we're all in sync with is that some of us are carrying a deeper, but all of us are carrying pain today. People don't know what grief is like until someone that we love is no longer there. And no two experiences of loss are the same. If you are two sisters, two brothers, a spouse, everyone experiences grief differently. The closeness to us of the person who dies, the time that they had in our life, all make a difference in the way that we grieve and even in the length of time that we grieve. The grief's common denominator, which is what we all have here, is pain. When we lose a dearly loved person, we have unbearable emotional pain. There's no getting around the pain. You can't dodge it. You can't run from it. You can't try to forget about it. You have to go through it. That is the only way to heal pain. Trying to avoid the pain and the emotions of grief only lead to greater problems. You can get sick. You can get ill. You'll have serious chronic diseases. And worst of all, when we avoid the painful feelings of grief, it leaves us psychologically stuck, unable to change, unable to grow. And grief is felt on so many different levels, all at the same time. Physically, the symptoms, you have headaches, you have gastrointestinal things going on, your stomach's growling, it's all upset. You have palpitations, you feel dizzy, and some people even have panic attacks. Psychologically, we experience crying, anger, frustration, feelings of guilt, and even feelings of shame. When it comes to socially, that's a whole different level of grief. When we lose that important person in our life, we want to get isolated. We want to be able to alienate ourselves from everyone and everything that makes us think about them before they died. When a spouse dies, our roles in church, at work, in the community, and even with our close friends, all change. Each of us experiences loss of a loved one in a unique way, depending on how close we were. 
But the best prep, pre preparation, even if we know that our loved one is sick, it still can't protect us from the pain that comes into our life. So there's five phases of grief that I put there on your paper. And we're going to go through each one of them. And if you have questions, if you could write them down, because we're going to have a question and answer after the classes we're taping. Just write them on the paper. The five phases of grief. Number one is shock and denial. Second. Anger and awareness of loss. Third is depression and withdrawal. Fourth is healing. And fifth is renewal. Uh, even though everyone grieves losses in different ways, th these are the patterns or stages of grieving that everyone usually experiences. These patterns describe the emotions and the mental processes that we all go through. Now, we don't go through them in this order. There is no specific order. The only one that comes in order are number four and five, healing and renewal. But the first three, it could come in any order. So the first stage, and like I said, there's no special order in the first three, is shock and denial. In this stage, grieving people are unable or unwilling to accept that the loss has taken place. Total denial, no, no, no. No, they didn't die. No, they're just on vacation. No, they just went to work. No, they just went to the store. No, no, no. And there's that denial phase where you, you're just, you're in shock. Your body goes into shock. Your mind goes into shock. And as difficult of a phase as this is, it's an important stage because it allows us to accept reality slowly. Denial and disbelief are like short, temporary retreats where we can say, no, it didn't happen. And we go, okay, it didn't happen. And then the reality hits us again. No, it did happen. And we kind of go back and forth. It did, it didn't. It did, it didn't. And for those of you who have ever um, lost a spouse, I remember waking up many mornings and looking to his side of the bed and saying, okay, where is he? Is he in Africa? Is he on the East Coast? Is, where is he? And I would have to try to remember and then I would think, oh my gosh, he's not here. It would just like shock me. But it was a denial because I really believed he was somewhere and he was coming back. And I know many of you, you probably walk into your home or you walk to your mom's or your grandma's or wherever and you just, you're thinking, they're there. I know they're here, I know they're here. And then you realize they're not here. Sometimes there's confusion that even takes place in our thought life. And the reason that that happens is because habits have been broken. You were used to a particular habit with your parent, with your spouse, with your children, with your friends. You had a habit of doing certain things a certain way. And so when good news happens, the first person that you would want to call would be your spouse or your mom or your dad. And you pick up the phone and you're like, they're not there. And you just kind of do things out of habit. And that's why this shock and denial phase is usually the first phase that takes place because there's a confusion in our thoughts. We forget. We're, we're always having to remind ourselves 
When we feel overloaded in this step, we feel, or maybe it's just me, I felt like I was a computer that went haywire. That was just like overload, overload. If you ever had a computer that just didn't cooperate with you, that's how I felt my brain was sometimes. It just wasn't working. And I, I think we have tissues that need to be passed out on all the tables. Thank you, Felicia. Um, and that's okay, and I, I, I so appreciate your tears because you know, those of you who are, who are tearing, that's a part of the healing. It's all a part of the healing, and don't, don't try to be tough. Not in here. This is a place where you could feel safe. If you wanna cry through the whole thing, you're welcome to. You're free to. You're safe here. When you're in this stage of shock and denial, there's a lot of fogginess that takes place and things are vague. Sometimes you can't even remember what happened at the funeral or who was there. You just can't remember. You're so much in a fog, you're so much in shock, you're so much in denial, you don't remember. And this stage of shock or denial can last for a few moments or it could last for weeks, could even last for months, depending on the individual. So then after people have passed through the denial and accepted the loss that has occurred, now the emotions begin to start erupting. You're like a volcano. You're just kind of like Because <sighs> now this is where we enter into the second phase. The second phase is anger and the awareness of loss. And actually I put on there and the unfairness of it all. Sometimes we wake up in the second phase feeling anxious and afraid. We don't want to get out of bed. We just want to stay in bed. We just want to put the blankets over our head and just pretend we're the only ones that exist. Take the phone off the hook, put blankets on the windows. Am I the only one? Okay. And just pretend nobody else exists. Or other people, they do okay. They get out of bed and man, they're good. They're, they get up and they're dressed. But toward the middle of the day, they just have a meltdown for no reason. Or so it seems. And they just get uncontrollable in their weeping. When an emotional bond is broken forever, the pain is like having an armor leg cut off. What it leaves is a stump. And that stump is exposed. And most of the time, the fears that we have are of being vulnerable. Because now that stump, everybody can see. We feel like everybody can see. We're vulnerable. We're fearful. Sometimes we even feel like we're on the edge of a nervous breakdown. We don't feel safe anymore. We feel vulnerable. We feel frightened. Some of us feel like abandoned children, especially if it was your mom or your dad or your 
your spouse. This stage can bring a lot of conflicts. Sometimes they can be with your immediate family members or your coworkers or even your friends. I've known women whose spouse has gone home and they said, okay, I want all the kids. I, I, I just want everybody here. And then once all the kids come, you're like, oh no, get out, get out. I can't handle you. So it's like, you know, the, they want everybody, but then they don't want everybody. They want you to come in, but don't, don't stay. Just come and go. And the conflicts start coming up. And they're hard to deal with because the hurt that you're feeling is already so deep. And I want to encourage you to keep your life as simple as possible. Just as simple as possible. There are times when you think about your loved one, and when you realize that they're not going to come back, it just brings a whole sense of fear. Every time we become aware of their death, that pain is met with frustration and disappointment. They're not coming back. Some at this stage may even be angry. We gotta blame somebody for this horrible tragedy. Somebody has to be blamed. We'll blame the doctor. We'll blame the driver. We'll blame, I'll tell you who I blamed. I blamed my husband. I blamed him for dying because he should have went to the doctor. Or then I blamed the doctor because the doctor should have caught it earlier. Or I, I mean, I blamed everybody because that's what we do naturally. We want to blame somebody. It makes it easier for us to cope when somebody takes the blame. We blame the person that died because maybe they didn't take care of themselves physically. Maybe they didn't wear a seatbelt. But what they did is they abandoned us. And now we're going through all kinds of hardship because they're not here. We get angry because we have to make decisions and they have to be made. We get angry because conflict is coming up and we're angry and we're abandoned and we're stressed out. This is where we have to learn to release our emotions. That's why it's okay to cry. It is better and healthier to cry and to let those tears flow than to keep them bottled up inside. For some of you who don't like to cry in public, and there are, there are some of you, you, you're like, I ain't shedding a tear. Nobody's gonna see me cry. Nobody. So I would encourage you to go home and have a fight with your pillow. Knock down, drag off, fight with your pillow. Because you do have to get those emotions out. Do something physical. Run. Walk fast. Go to beat up a punching bag. Punching bag, not a person. A punching bag. <laughs> or vent. Vent to a friend. Vent to someone that you trust. Because, see, we don't know what's going to trigger our tears. I, I can remember so many times sitting at a restaurant and just talking to somebody, just normal conversation, and all of a sudden a song would come on. And I didn't even, 
I wasn't listening to it, but my subconscious was hearing it, and all of a sudden, tears just started coming, and I'm like, I didn't know what to do. We don't know what's going to trigger those tears. It comes in waves. But crying helps us to adapt. Crying helps us to heal. It's like having water in a kettle, in a tea kettle. Your tears keep us from exploding. It's like it's releasing all that steam that's on the inside. If you don't let those tears out, they're going to come out in a different way. Crying tells us and tells others that we still need help and we still need support. So give yourself permission to cry. Give yourself permission even to vent your anger. It's all part of grief. Talk about your feelings with someone. Talk about your loss over and over and over. Find someone who will listen to you. Find someone who will listen to you talk about your mom or your dad or your spouse, or your child, or your friend, your loved one, because that's all part of the healing. Third, doesn't come in a regular order, comes, there's depression and withdrawal. Just when we think we have grieved all we can grieve, and we've cried enough tears for a river, then we move to the stage of depression and withdrawal. And in this stage, we have used up a lot of our emotion. We've used up all of our energy. And when we get to this stage, we're exhausted. We're just tired, physically and emotionally. And this is the stage where we actually just need to rest. We find ourselves wanting to sleep a lot. We don't have the energy to do anything. You want to eat? No. You want to go to the mall? No. You want to go here? No. We don't want to do anything. And sometimes we can even feel hopeless about the future. We actually just want to be left alone. And this is the stage where we talk to God and we begin to bargain with him. And we begin to say, God, if, if you bring them back, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll change. And we begin to start bargaining. We begin to start doing, you know, talking to God and say, God, if you do this, then I'll, but the bargaining is already over. They're already home. During this depression or withdrawal stage, this is when we begin to start looking inward and we begin to start reviewing the years that we had together and reminding ourselves that we will never live that life with them again and this can also bring depression into our life some people will actually feel like they have the flu because it's actually a loss of energy some have trouble sleeping and so they're they're up all night and sleep all day Our, our sleep patterns change. See, grief puts such a major cause of stress in our life that 
It can change our blood pressure. It can change our heart rate. It can even change the chemical makeup of our blood. And if we don't go through grief in a healthy way, what it does is it breaks down our immune system and it allows our bodies to be exposed to illness and infections and diseases. We feel like the world is moving on and they're moving on without us. And we're being left behind to just sit in our pain, trying to make some sense of our loss. We feel like our world is in chaos. We think that if we just get busy and get our minds off of grief, then we're going to hurry up this process. What, if I just get busy and I'll just get into my job or I'll just throw myself in this hobby or I'll just do this and I'll just do that and we try to just get busy. But I will tell you that it's not going to hurry the process. Grief will take as long as it needs to take for you as an individual. You can't hurry it. You can't get busy and feel like I'm done. You're done when you know you're done. Some people think that the grief period should last six months and then you should just bounce back. So for some of you here, it's been over six months and you're still not done and it's okay. See, grief depends on the depth of a relationship that you had with that person. I remember when I sent my daughter to a grief counselor. She really needed a grief counselor more than what I could help her. And when she went to a grief counselor, he really helped her a lot, and he invited me to come in on one of the sessions. And um, she had told him all about me, so he already knew me before I got there. It's kind of scary. But um, he asked, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm doing OK. And he said, he's kind of the one that got me going on this grief. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, well, I think I am. He said, no, you're just being busy. That's all. And I said, well, how do you know? He says, well, your daughter has told me a little bit about you and your marriage. He says, and I am going to tell you this. It's going to take you a minimum of two to seven years to get through your process of grief. And at that time, it had been like four months. And I was like, seven years. Oh, my god. I, I just said, forget it. Just forget it. I'm just going to go lock myself in a room for seven years, wait till this is over. And he said, no, the depth of your relationship will be able to determine how long your grief lasts. And so I understood that it was going to take longer than six months. For some of you, it's going to take a year. For some, two. For some, four. As long as you're working on it. If you just kick back and you just say, I'm not going to do anything, then you're just going to get stuck. And you're not going to heal, and you're not going to grow. You'll just be stuck. Next year, you may come back to this class, and you're going to be exactly where you were right now. That's not healing, and that's not growing, and that's not changing. We need to get support for our grief for as long as it takes, because grief cannot be hurried. But as we begin to accept the reality of the loss and recover 
from the conflicts and to make decisions to move on, then we begin to see the next step. And the next step is the stage of healing or acceptance. Now, this is the place where we begin to find our identity. We find out who we are and find out what we want to do with the rest of our lives. This stage is a turning point in our life. There's no specific time. It hits all of us differently. But one day, you're going to be able to say, wow, the fog is lifted. I can see things now that I didn't see. We're willing to do more things. We aren't getting tired as quickly as we used to. Before, we'd get tired doing nothing. Now, we actually do something, and we get tired. Our attitude begins to start to change. Sometimes people change jobs, or they go back to school, or they move, or they do something that puts them in a different routine or a different environment or a different group of people. And this is where, once again, we, we take control of our life again. We give up our role as a missus or a mister or a daughter or a son or a friend. We just begin to understand that we're not going to have that role anymore, that our role has changed. At this stage, we form a new identity. I am me. I may not be Mrs. Anybody. I may not be Mr. Somebody married to this person. I may not have my mom or my dad, my sister, my brother, my child, my friend, but I know who I am. And that's where you begin to find yourself in this stage. Because then you begin to start focusing on you. Sometimes you feel like as you move from one stage or one phase to another that you feel like you're just going to go crazy sometimes. Your reactions are normal. This is normal. You feel like you're going crazy? You're normal. But you got to move through each phase in order to get healed and renewed. And as you go through each phase, the stress of your life will begin to diminish. When you are the survivor of a death of someone that you deeply, deeply loved, you're going to face one of life's most difficult and agonizing challenges. We have the opportunity to work through the phases of grief, to come forth as stronger, more competent, and a new individual. But working through it takes time. It takes energy. And it takes a persevering spirit. And many times, I know I did, I just felt like quitting. Many times we said, this is too hard. This is just too hard. But in those times of loneliness, and in those times when we feel defeated, that's when our courage may be at its lowest. But we know, we know that we know that we know that we feel God's presence in our life giving us the strength to pick up and begin again. And unless we learn to trust in our Father, we're not going to be able to deal with the need that we have to forgive. 
Some of you are holding on to unforgiveness, even from something that was done to you, said to you, from that person who's no longer here. And you got to let it go. And you got to be willing to love again and to allow yourself to become a part of other people's lives. Many of us have experienced the loss of a lot of things in our life. We don't learn to grieve through loss because every loss in our life is different. Grief was placed on us. Nobody in this room asked for it, but it was given to us. It was handed to us. What we do with our grief is a different matter. We have the choice of living in the past, still married to our old identity, or of moving on and finding out what God and life has to offer us. We have to go through each phase in order to center ourselves and not always lean on everybody for support, but eventually to have the strength to stand on our own two legs. So how do we calm this pain of grief? Part of the answer is to accept death as an important part of life. If we could truly believe that death is a part of life and that death is a place of joy and peace, then we would be more accepting. If we keep our view of death as the worst punishment that could happen to us, then we're gonna have a very difficult grieving period. We grieve because our loss hurts so deeply. We grieve because death stirs up those feelings of abandonment and we feel scared and unsafe. When we are separated from the people that we love with no way to get back to them, with no way to fix things as they once were, that's when we feel out of control and helpless and we want to have our loved ones back. But intellectually, up here, we know they can't come back. It's impossible for them to come back. But we have to let them go. If we don't, we're going to stay in an emotional conflict until we can let them go. To deny that they are no longer here is not a solution. Sometimes because our loss is so painful, we don't want to deal with grief. And we just put it on the shelf and we're like, like a something, like a piece of clothing. I don't want to deal with it. I'll deal with it later, later, later. One month goes by, two months, six months, a year, two years. And you just don't deal with it. The thought of having to deal with a loss is sometimes so difficult that we just choose not to. Some people choose to numb their pain through drugs and alcohol. I'll just, I don't want to feel this hurt. It's so deep and it's so difficult that I'm just going to drink until I don't feel or I'm just going to take enough pain pills so I don't feel. And the sad part is, when you come out of it, you feel it. It's still there. 
it doesn't go away. Because drugs and alcohol are just a distraction. They may keep you occupied, but they don't bring healing in your life. You stay in what there is called a roundabout. Like in a car, you're just going around and around and around, thinking, well, I don't feel the pain because you're numb. I don't feel the pain because I'm drugged up. I don't feel the pain until you come off those drugs and alcohol, and then all of a sudden, it hits you. Denial of grief is like taking a trip. You can get distracted for a little while, but when you come back from that trip, that pain is exactly where you left it. The alternative is to feel the pain. Numbing seems like it's the right thing to do, but when you numb your pain, when you take drugs, when you take alcohol, when you try to numb your pain, you also have to give up the joy, the peace, the laughter, and all the emotions that are connected with healing. If we can have the courage to feel our grief, then we also allow ourselves to feel and experience everything that's positive and negative. And only then will we begin our journey. When we try to avoid the pain and escape the work of grief, that's when we stumble and that's when we fall. To get through our grief, we need to know it's okay to express our feelings. You don't have to be strong and you don't always have to be positive. Because if you are, you're still not going to be able to grieve. You can't go through life with a public face. How are you doing? Fine. Are you okay? I'm great. Wonderful. Marvelous. And on the inside, you're broken up. You never want to let anyone see you with a sad face or tears in your eyes. And if you don't allow them to see you during those times of grief, then you're going to miss out on the support that you need to carry you through. We need to learn to receive from others and to even ask for what we need. Most of the time, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable or we don't want to embarrass ourselves by breaking down. But I will tell you this, people already know that you're in pain. Don't try to hide it and don't try to keep it together if you feel like falling apart. If you want to come out on the other side of grief, then you're going to have to give yourself permission to feel. And sometimes the feelings are painful. The majority of people survive grief because of family and friends. These are the ones who are going to sit with you and who are going to listen to you and who are going to cry with you and who are going to hold your hand and they're going to hear your anger and they're not going to run away. We desperately need the comfort and support of as many people as we can find. We don't do well going through our journey of grief alone. And I'm glad no one here came alone because it's important that you find someone to go through your journey with. The more conflict there is in a relationship, the harder the journey of grief is 
all relationships have an amount of conflict. And this is what's interesting is that when we lose our loved one, we try never to remember the ugliness. We try never to remember them yelling. Oh, no, they never yelled. They never got mad. They were never upset. We have this idea that we need to hold our loved ones up here in perfection. Well, they lived down here with all of us imperfect people. They did get mad. They did yell. They did scream. They did kick. They did do all of that. And it's okay to remember them in that way. That's who they were. All the good and even the bad. Don't try to make that person that is no longer here perfect. Because when you make them perfect, in comparison, you are so imperfect. And that's not who you are. If you have any negative emotion, then you need to forgive yourself and admit that remembering them is a normal part of grief. It is better to deal with our painful memories as soon as we can and to free ourselves from the sadness of grief. There are many ways that people can choose to cope with grief, and I wrote some of them down for you here. Some are constructive and some are destructive, but I wrote some healthy ways for you to deal with it. Number one is journaling. Write down your feelings, write down your thoughts. Some of you just normally journal, and some of you are like, hmm, I don't know if I could do it. But try it. Just try. I journal about five times a year. But hey, those five times a year are books. So, <laughs> but at least it's five times a year. Number two, talk with a confidant, someone that you trust, someone that you can just be open and honest with. Number three, if you feel you need it, get some professional help. It's okay, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Grief is hard. Grief is difficult. And there's some that need more help than others. And it doesn't mean that you're less, and it doesn't mean that you're weak, and it doesn't mean that you're mental, or you're crazy. It just means that you need help to get through your grief. And it's okay. It's okay. Number four, get into a support group. I know there are churches, many churches, many hospitals who have grief support groups. And um, I'm, that's what I'm thinking of trying to establish in every church is a grief support group. And I'm asking the Lord for a, a plan, a design, because I think every church needs a grief support group. And um, so I'm going to pray with me as I prepare and plan to get one of these in every church. Number five, good physical self-care. And I, I can honestly tell you that this is what really, really helped me after my husband went home. I mean, I just threw myself into physical, and, um, and I did real good for a long time. Then I fell off the wagon. <laughs> but when you're, when you're uh, good physically, when you feel good physically, and you, can, you feel good about life, and you feel good about yourself, and you feel good about 
situations, and it makes all the difference in the world. Number six, keep active and social as much as you can tolerate, as much as you can handle. There are, there are times and there are things, I know the holidays are coming up, don't stay away from Thanksgiving. Don't stay away from family. There's gonna be parties that are gonna happen. Don't stay away. Now you may not be able, you, maybe you were the kind of person that came early and left late. You were the first one to be there and the last one to leave. You may not be able to do that. You may just be able to go for a few hours, but you, you go. Just go. Even if you go for an hour, even if you go for two, even if you go just to eat. Ya comí, ya me voy. I'm eating, I'm leaving. You know, just, just go. Don't deprive yourself of social interaction during the holidays. Don't feel it's too overwhelming. I think the anticipation of it is harder to deal with than the actual event. Number seven, put off major decisions. And I try to encourage everyone who has suffered a major loss in their life not to make major decisions. Don't quit your job. Don't sell your house. Don't sell your car. Don't make major decisions. Don't move to another state. Give yourself some time to settle. Give yourself some time for your emotions to settle because when, you, when, when you're going through loss, your emotions and your ability to make decisions is not always good. You need to just calm down and just go for a little while. Get some counsel. Don't make decisions on your own. I, I, have, I had a girl in the church, and when her husband died, she, she sold her house, she sold her car, she quit her job. I mean, she like everything that was major in her life, came to a decision, she made it. And, um, and she suffered the consequences because everything just was haywire. And that's what you feel like you want to do. You just want to make decisions. Don't make major decisions. Hold off. Number eight, be flexible. Just be flexible. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to come into your life that it's not the way it used to be. Just be flexible. Well, I used to always have Thanksgiving at my house. Okay, well... Can we have it at their house? Be flexible. Well, mom always made the stuffing. Well, she wants to make the stuffing, but I want to make the stuffing. Be flexible. It's not important in the, the end of the day who did what. What's important is that the family is still intact. That's what's important. Number nine, read. And in one of your papers that I gave you, it was a bibliography of different books. And this is just a short bibliography of different books that I have read and I continue to read. And the last two are for kids. And maybe you have kids that you want to help learn how to get through grief. And these are two good kids' books that you can sit down and read with them and help them understand what grief and loss is. So not only should you read, but you should pray. This is what's going to get you through these, this holiday season. Read and pray. 
And then number 11, and I put this because I had to learn how to do this. I had to plan ahead for birthdays, anniversaries, and special days. I did not know that I needed a plan. And so just the anticipation of Thanksgiving and just the anticipation of my husband's birthday and Christmas all used to all come together for me. And just the anticipation of it, I would just go through anxiety and I would go through stress and I would, until I learned how to plan. You know what? I'm going to plan for what I want to do the day after Thanksgiving. I want to plan what I want to do on his birthday. I want to plan what I want to do on Christmas. I'm going to buy myself a Christmas present. I'm going to plan what I want to do on New Year's. And if you start planning ahead of time and not wait for it to take place and not wait for it to happen to you, you'll be able to deal with it a little bit easier. Just a little bit easier. It's going to be hard. Your firsts are always hard. First Thanksgiving, first Christmas, first birthday, first anniversary, first Mother's Day, first Father's Day, all of those days, holidays, are going to hit you. But if you plan ahead of time, my first Mother's Day, I told my daughter, I know what I want to do. I want to go to a baseball game. And that's what we did. And I had a great Mother's Day. What do we do for Father's Day? I want to go to a baseball game. That's what we did again. I had a great Father's Day. So I planned ahead. I wasn't going to let it hit me. I was going to hit the enemy back. And I was going to plan and enjoy the day and not let the memory cause me to be depressed and sad. Because sometimes people feel like, well, I should be depressed and I should feel sad. Why? When God has healed you, you don't have to lock yourself up anymore. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. When the healing God, that God does in your life comes, you're healed. And you don't have to pretend that you're depressed. It's going to be difficult for you during your time of grief. But when your grieving is done, when it's completed, man, it's such a victory, such a breath of life. During the deepest stages of grief, sometimes you just feel like there's nothing left to live for. You feel like all of life is negative. What is so good about Thanksgiving? What is so good about Christmas? You just feel like it's another day. But grieving people feel a tremendous loyalty to their lost relationship, and they resist anything that they feel might make them happy when they feel they're supposed to be sad. And some of you are trying really hard to just be sad when the other part of you wants to anticipate being happy. And you're fighting within yourself. And you want to plan Christmas and you want to plan a great holiday, but no, we have to be sad. And you struggle. There's a battle going on inside of you. The transition from a sad focus on the past to a hopeful focus on the present doesn't happen overnight. It comes in bits and pieces. It's not disloyal or dishonorable to laugh 
It's not disloyal or dishonorable to find new ways to be happy again. It's not. You got to lay aside the guilt feelings because your life has to go on. And number five, when renewal happens, you're able to think of that loved one, that place or that thing with a happy memory and less pain in your life. You may still feel the pain because they're not there, but it's not as painful as it used to be. Your joy comes from God, not in your circumstances. Joy comes from within. It is based on who you trust, not on what you see and not on what you feel. When you give your grief to God, he is faithful, faithful, faithful to comfort you. That's why the scripture there is in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Focus on what you have. When you experience disaster, and you still will, focus on what you still have, not on what you lost. Tell God you're thankful for what you still have. Make a list of all the good things. We always had a ritual in our family where every Thanksgiving, we always went around and every person always had to thank God for something. And the Thanksgiving after my husband went home, we each had to do that. We each had to share what we were thankful about. We weren't thankful that he wasn't there to share it with us, but we still had to thank God for something. We have to continue to be grateful in the midst of our pain. And this is what working toward letting God heal you does. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. He will heal you, and he will comfort you. Are you going to get lonely? Yeah. It comes with grief. Grief makes us feel different than other people. It makes us feel a little bit alienated. Like some of you walked in here, and you're like, man, you don't even know how I feel. You have no idea how I feel. But everybody's saying that to everybody. But we're all in pain. We can overcome grief together. Grief changes us. Grief has changed every single one of us. But we have choices on how it changes us. It could make, it make us bitter or cynical. Or we can confront grief as painful as it is, and look at it as an opportunity to grow. Some of the things that grief has taught me is that it's taught me to stop and look at life in all of my relationships. It's taught me that relationships can never be taken for granted, that every person that I know is a gift to be treasured. Grief has taught me the importance of living in the present and valuing and treasuring people that I love. Grief has taught me to enjoy every moment and not let time be wasted. It teaches us that we can live simple. We don't need a whole lot. We can be simple. Most of all, it's taught me how to laugh again. And it'll teach you how to laugh again, too. When we choose to see the funny side as well as the serious side, it'll heal our pain, but it'll also heal us. And grief makes us wiser. 
We're not the same people that we were before. We're different. We've changed. We're stronger and we're more capable than we were before we let our loved one go. We're on the road of our journey through grief. And in this journey, we're here to help each other get through it. And I know that everybody here is sitting with somebody. So I want you to reach out and I want you to grab their hand. And we're going to pray one for another. <laughs>